This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. You guys doing well? Blessed? I do have to address something this morning with you, if you're ready. Are you ready? So, um, we want to be mindful of what's happening around the world right now. So, um, we have hand sanitizer at the front at the information station. And in the back where the kids are, we will be bathing your children in hand sanitizer this morning if you have kids with us, just to disinfect them before they go home. You're welcome. Uh, We want to be mindful of the the coronavirus that's been going around. We wanted to also let you know that we've been taking measures to make sure that we, you know, uh, are are clean. And and we want to encourage you as well. That's not really what the announcement is is really supposed to be about. What What it really is, the heart of it is that... I just need you guys to understand that there's nothing that you have to be afraid of when it comes to these kinds of things, okay? God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if we have some kind of fear that we're dealing with through this, um, I want you to know that that God doesn't want you to dwell or remain in that place. He's going to take care of us. Um, this is this is not something that 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 is new. It has happened before, and and we want to make sure that when we go out into the world, that we are representing him as that light of the world and, and not bringing in fear-mongering or causing things to be worse than they are because we have confidence in him, don't we? Amen? We have confidence in him. And, and worst-case scenario, this is I said this in the first service too. I really don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. We have, we have great confidence in him. And if anything were to happen, you, you just get to step into eternity. <laughs> so, I mean, it's kind of good news, but people get upset when I say stuff like that, but it's, it's not, it's, it's literally not the end of the world. So, but let's be praying for opportunity to share with people. Let's not allow fear to have any kind of place in our lives, not just through this, but, but through anything. And let's use it as an opportunity for what the, what the enemy intended for evil, the Lord can use for good. There's testimonies through these things historically that have happened that God has used to reveal himself to people and to bring healing. So let's, let's Let's uh, stay in that place, amen? Let's stay in that place and not move to the place that the enemy would love for us to be. We have a guest with us this morning, uh, Marion from Romania. I'm going to have him come up and share a little bit about his orphanage ministry there in Romania. And um, we're going to pray for him and then we'll get into the message. My fault. Sorry. Good morning again. I'm, I'm glad to be here. And I think you guys have such a great legacy to live by. Welcome to paradise. Yeah. What name is that? Yeah. <laughs> you have no excuse not to come to church, by the way. You hear that? <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm, I'm Romanian. I'm married to um, an Irish woman. My wife is from uh, Ireland. Uh, we have four children, the first one adopted and three uh, natural birth after that. And four years ago, we moved back to Romania 
because we've been working with the orphanage and there were kids in our heart that were at 18. The government gives them about $300 so they can go into the life, into the world and look after themselves. And I can assure you from experience, those money go on the first phone they see, anything shiny, the first lump of money they ever seen and it's gone in a week. And we knew that they are not ready for the world. And then we uh, initially we rented an apartment in Brasov where we had five of those guys that have been through the system that were finding it hard to cope. And then um, we realized that this is not uh, a very good system. The apartment, you cannot stretch it. You cannot do anything more to it. You cannot teach them any skills in it. So um, by God's grace, we, we received the money and we were able to buy uh, a plot of land um, about 10 miles from Brasov. And there we want to develop like a self-sustaining farm where those guys can uh, learn skills. Uh, at the moment, we have about um, seven, eight goats. Um, I don't know how many have given birth while I'm away. A um, couple of um, baby goats and we have some hens and we have some rabbits and we have those guys that stay on the site, uh, three of them, another one uh, will help them in the town. But the ministry is not only that. Um, in the weekends, we, gave, we bring the kids from the nearby children's home, uh, the young ones in Saturday, the bigger ones in Sunday, um, and they want to stay with us all day. We have, um, we have a church service at home. We have food and games and fun. So um, it's very different than, uh, than being in the, in the home um, from the care system. So uh, that's, that's in a nutshell what we do. Uh, you can, if you want, you can find more of those details in our website. It's realhope.ro. And the reason we choose this name is not by chance. Uh, is because we want them to have the real hope. And we know what that is. No matter what you've been through, no matter what the future might hold for you, but if you have Jesus, you have the real hope. And as we said, even Corona cannot separate us from his love. So um, pray for us uh, as a family. Uh, it's, not, um, it's not easy at times, especially for, for children to adopt uh, to the life in Romania. Um, at times they feel left out, like I'm spending more time in children's homes and with other kids and with um, the guys from the farm and not with them, just pray for us, um, for them to, to grow in maturity, to realize that um, uh, they're called as well as us, the parents, because sometimes the children say, but did God call me too? And where, you're, where the, the family is, there is where the home is. So um, it's hard at times, and please, uh, please pray for that. Pray for wisdom for myself and my wife. Pray for uh, opportunities to share Christ as much as possible for more people to come uh, along and volunteer with us and you pray maybe you'll be volunteering with us and we with we, we thank you and we appreciate your prayers thank you very much god bless Amen. hold on hold on we're going to pray for you right now let's pray for marion and his family Father, we lift up our brother and his family to you and thank you for the, for the calling that you've placed on their lives to care for 
those orphans, God. And we want to cultivate hearts for what your word says we should be concerned with. And one of those things is widows and orphans, those people who are struggling in this world that, that you are going to take care of, you're going to provide for, but maybe you can use our hands and feet to do so. And you're using their hands and feet to do so. So we pray that you'd give them um, just a the, the confidence in knowing you're going to provide for them, that you would provide, and that you would get all the glory, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, please. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 12 this morning, and I love God's timing. Do you guys love God's timing? Is God's timing perfect? How many people are tired this morning? Come on. I'm so, I, this is the worst day of the year for me. I just, I went to bed way too late and then I had to get up way too early and, and I was robbed of an hour of sleep. And how many of you need some extra rest? Do you know what we're going to be talking about this morning? <laughs> rest. And, and you need it on the physical level, on the molecular level. Your body needs to be able to, to heal and repair itself. But, but we're going to be talking about it on a different level, too. The, the rest that Jesus talks about, he addressed. Last week, we looked at rest for your souls. How many of you need rest for your soul? There's so much turmoil, and the world is so crazy the world is nuts and and my soul sometimes just needs to be guided in green pastures and and settle down beside quiet waters and and it needs to be restored and jesus specifically said that that's what his intention is for you that's what god's heart is for you that you would have rest. It's such a sweet word that we're going to look at today. If you haven't already turned there, Matthew chapter 12. And what we're going to do is when the Bible was written, whoever wrote different books, in our case, it's Matthew. The Bible was not written with chapter breaks. It was written as a letter. And then the editors came later on and inserted the chapter breaks. One of the chapter breaks, this, this one for chapter 12, is one that I would remove if I could. It's not a good break from 11 to 12. And this is why, look at with me in, in chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain to eat. You see how we just went right from 11 into 12? At that time, at what time? At the time that Jesus was trying to get across to people, communicate to his disciples that his intention for them was rest, and not just physical rest, but that's what we're going to talk about now, the Sabbath day, but, but rest for their souls. 
Do you know the Netherlands is the number one country in the world that has the lowest hours in their work week? The country of Netherlands, they work an average of 29 hours a week. And they get the same salary as people, you know, that that's what their salary is connected to. It's a 29-hour-a-week work week. How many of you would like that? Oh, that's nice. Their, their thought process, their, it, it's, 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 been, it's been developed in the culture. Their thought process, their thinking is that if we, if, we, if we cause people to work less, their productivity will be greater. Now, I don't know how exactly that works, but I think working a little bit less sounds pretty great. Now, this, is, this isn't to say that hard work and intentionally working is, is bad. I think that that's also, that's, that's very good. But, but here again, the context is us, us being able to have some restoration that happens, some, some rest. You know, for us, it's difficult sometimes for us to take a day off. Do you, do you struggle with taking a day off? You know, the, the nation of Israel, they were commanded every so often, we won't get into the details of it, but they were commanded every so often to take a year off. How would you like to take a year off? That would be tough, kind of, right? And, and maybe the year before you'd sow a little extra seed in the field because you guys are farmers or your neighbors are farmers, and to hope that a little more fruit would come so that you could have enough, and they always did have enough the next year when they were, when they were resting. That was back then. And the Sabbath day, one day a week, was a command because God knows <laughs> us, our human condition, and if we just work and work and work and work and work. Do you know in Europe, most European countries take, uh, they have a, a month of vacation off a year. And you're able to take that whole month off at the same time. It, you know, you, you can take it at once. How many of you would like that? That would be incredible. Talk about having some family time. Go on a month-long camping trip. That would be sweet. Shower once a week. Don't have to worry about getting wet and soapy so often. And we would have people in our church when we lived in Europe, they'd be like, hey, Pastor Tim, we're going on vacation. See you in five weeks. I'm like, that's not fair. You can't leave me for five weeks. You guys are half the church. You're feeling... <laughs> So we take this, this, this physical understanding of rest and, and we want it to make sense for us in our lives. And we should be trying to exercise, settling down and having some kind of rest from time to time. But then it also goes over to the spiritual side of things. And, and to, to really have true spiritual rest or on this level that Jesus is talking about, it has to be connected to him. He says, this is how you get it. It's through me. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you've freely given us this gift from the beginning of, of, of rest, that you want us to receive restoration and you want us to be blessed. And we want to receive that today. 
We want to receive that on the physical level, but we also want to receive it on the spiritual level. We want to receive it for the rest that our souls need on a daily basis. And freely, you have given it to us, and freely, we desire to receive it in its fullness. God, we pray that you'd speak to us this morning through your word. We thank you for the the praise and worship that we are able to offer you, the fruit of our lips, hopefully the, the condition of our heart, worshiping you. Also, Lord, the studying and application of your word this morning, and also, Father, the tithes and offerings that we give to you, may they be done in, as an act of worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One more time, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and he began to pluck, they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. Now, I don't know about you, but there isn't many things that sound more relaxing than taking a stroll through a grain field. Am I right? You walk in through, just go for a little hike, a little walk, walking through the grain. Very relaxing, very on my Sabbath to-do list. What happened as they were walking, they got a little hungry. They weren't breaking any laws or anything, um, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but they were plucking the heads of grain. They're popping it in in their mouths and, and eating it. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. They're breaking the law. Now, they weren't really breaking the law, and like I said, we will get into it, but but uh, what they were referring to is the preparation of food by plucking it and popping it, popping it in, in their mouth to eat. David Guzik says this, at, that, at this time, many rabbis filled Judaism with elaborate rituals related to the Sabbath and observance of other laws. Ancient rabbis taught that on the Sabbath, a man could not carry something in his right hand or in his left hand across his chest or on his shoulder, but he could carry something with the back of his hand, with his foot, with his elbow or in the ear, on the hair, in the hem of the shirt or his shoe or sandal. On the Sabbath, one was forbidden to tie a knot, except a woman could tie a knot in her girdle. So if a bucket of water had to be raised from a well, one could not tie a rope to the bucket, but a woman could tie her girdle to the bucket and then to the rope. I got nothing from you guys. A couple chuckles. The first service busted out laughing, and I was like, thank you for the intended response. This is ridiculous. It's crazy. The Pharisees had taken a day of rest and they had taken what God intended to be a blessing and they turned it into a burden. And the same is true for you and for I today. We can receive from God the blessings that he wants us to receive. We can can wholeheartedly accept them, but we had better not turn them into a burden because that's not what they were intended to do. They were intended to be a blessing. Even today, if you go with me to Israel, we go to Israel and they have, the, the trip is, is planned around the Sabbath because you can't really do much of anything on the Sabbath. Everything shuts down. But nowadays with our technology, you know what they, they can do. Everything is pre-programmed for the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath in Israel, you can't even press a button 
you can't flip a light switch. But because of the technology we have, if you're in a building and you need to go to the elevator, you can't push the button to call the elevator to you. So what the Sabbath elevator does is it's pre-programmed to go to every single floor. And if you want to go down, you go to the elevator and you wait there and you see ding, ding, ding. Ding, and then when it gets to you, you step on the elevator and then you go down because you're not allowed to touch any buttons. If you want to get your Sabbath meal ready, you get it all done Friday before the Sabbath, before the going down of the sun, and you put it into the oven and everything's pre-programmed at the time the next day you're going to have that meal to turn on, cook your food so that it can be done so that all you do is eat it. Still today. It sounds to me, and maybe you would agree, that the Sabbath seems like it's a lot more work <laughs> than just taking a day off. There's a lot of prep that goes into it. And, and really, are they fulfilling the intended rest that God had for them? Or have they turned the, bird, uh, the blessing into a burden? And, and if, you're, if, if you're wondering, well, you can't, you can't be that, judged him whether they're doing that or not. I'm not. This is what we're reading this morning. Jesus says it. Jesus says this is not what was intended for the Sabbath to be a burden. It was intended to be a blessing. I have for you Hebrews up here on the screen, chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Can I get an amen? That's a good statement. There, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. That's for you and for me, and for them, but for you and for me. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Now, this sentence can be a little bit confusing, but notice with me the difference between the, the, the he and his there's a lowercase h and an uppercase h, right? So look with me again. For he who has entered, little h, who's that? That's you and me. He who has entered his rest, that's a capital H, who's that talking about? Jesus. He who has entered his rest has himself, you, also ceased from his works as God did from his. When we enter into the rest of Jesus Christ, we no longer are required to work for anything. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I've said it once, I'll say it a million times. Every other religious system in the world requires something of you except for biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is the only one where the burden is removed and you are given rest as a free gift by the grace of God through faith. Everybody else will require some form of work, but Jesus Christ, praise be to God, finished that work on the cross once and for all. And that's what Hebrews talks about a little bit more. He says, for one time the sacrifice was needed to be made. And that's it. And now the people of God can have confidence that they can also enter into that rest. Let us therefore be diligent to, ent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Now that reference is to the children of Israel that were wandering in the wilderness and they died of what? Unbelief. 
God wanted to take them into the land of promise. He wanted them to receive the rest he intended for them, but they rejected it. They didn't receive it. And it says that they even did it in disobedience. God says, I want you to receive this. And they said, we don't want it. He says, for you guys, uh, you therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Now, I could have given you just the first part of that reference about rest, and it would have made sense, right? But we have the, the further context, which, which even makes it clear for us that he starts to talk about the word of God. And this is why I can ask you if you're in a restful place. I can ask you if you're okay right now, and you can tell me yes. And you could be lying to my face. You could have all kinds of inner torment and turmoil and frustrations and, and not rest. But the reason that we bring this up is because the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. And, and God sees where you're really at. This is good news. Uh, so for some people, it might sound like bad news, but, but you can't say to God, God, I'm okay. Things are going to be fine. He says, I can see where you're at. I, I, I can see that you're not okay. Wouldn't it be better to talk to me about it than just to act like you're fine and, and to continue to try to work, to be in a position where you feel good about yourself or you feel better? I've already done it. All I'm calling you to is acceptance so that the blessing could be the blessing and the blessing isn't the burden. We see this in church culture over history. And I don't know if you've experienced it, but I've experienced it. You go into a church where, you know, you, you've got to dress a certain way. You've got to talk a certain way. There's no drums because drums are of the devil. And, and you've got to act a certain way. And, and, and if you don't, you're out the door. Get out of here. And this is our community. This is our people. And, and this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it looks like. And if you don't look like this, then get out. That's taking the blessing and, and causing it to be a burden. Everyone is supposed to be welcome. Everybody is supposed to be loved. And we're going to finish on that note. We're not finishing yet, even though you might wish we were, but we're not. Here's another quote by Clark. Throw that up there. The Jews were so superstitious concerning the observance of the Sabbath that in their wars with Antiochus Epiphanes, the Romans and the Romans, they thought it a crime to attempt to defend themselves on the Sabbath. When their enemies observed this, they deterred their operations to that day. It was through this that Pompey was enabled to take Jerusalem. Doesn't take a, ro a rocket scientist, right? All is fair in love and war. Well, you guys are taking the day off? Yeah, listen, guys, we know that you're our enemy. We're taking the day off. We're just asking that you leave us alone on that day. So what did the Romans do? We'll take the week off. Wait till the Sabbath. 
and then not only attack, but attack and take Jerusalem because of this, this level of burden of the Sabbath for the Jews. Verse 3, but Jesus said to them, he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Put your little finger up like this with me, would you? Everybody's got a little finger. Y'all got a finger? You like pointing at people? Pharisees were real good. Your disciples, you do this and you do that and you don't do this and you do do that. And he said, do do on the stage. That's not good. (laughs) Your disciples, they don't observe the Sabbath. And then Jesus has a pointing finger too, doesn't he? Jesus has, and who does Jesus point to? Jesus says, well, let's talk about David. You want to point at people. Let's talk about David, your forefather, the greatest king of Israel, how he went in and he ate the showbread that was not lawful for him to do. Now, funny thing is, we just this past Wednesday, we're in 1 Samuel, and we just covered 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 3 through 6, about David taking the showbread. So I'm going to read it for you. I didn't put it on the screen for you, but I'm going to read it for you. First Samuel chapter 21 verses three through six. So David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not tell anyone about anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women, then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us for about three days since I came out. The vessels of the young men are holy and the bread is in effect common. Enough, uh, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken. Now, imagine with me kind of like shelves. It's, it's hard to explain. They're about this tall, and they have them on display when you go to the Temple Institute in, in Jerusalem. And, there's, and there's, it's like, a, it's like a, a, a trays that are kind of stacked around in a circle. And the showbread would be placed on these trays before the Lord. And it, and it was to, to be a, a fragrant aroma. It was an offering to the Lord. And once a day, you know, fresh bread. Does anybody like the smell of fresh bread? The Lord likes it. Okay, so they would take, once a day, they would take the old bread and then they would replace it with new bread to, so that it would continually not only have that aroma, but it would be the, the daily offering of that showbread. And what, what David is saying is, in effect, the, the bread has, has fulfilled its purpose. It's being removed now. So it, it could be as common bread now. And notice with me that he didn't steal the bread. Did he steal the bread? Did, did, he, did he rush in and just start gobbling it up? Ah, I'm so hungry. My men are hungry. He didn't do that either, did he? He went in and he had a conversation with the priest. And who gave him the bread? The priest gave him the bread and said that it was okay for him to take it because the need of the person 
was greater than the purpose of the bread. Just like with the Sabbath, the need of the person always trumps, is always greater than the intended purpose. So here we have Jesus saying, hey, David did it. So the first thing he points to is David. Who's the second thing he points to? The priests, the priests that were in charge. And then he, he, he lists a third. We're going to talk about the priests a little bit more, but then he lists a third. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? The priests do what? Yeah, on the Sabbath, about twice as many sacrifices are offered on the Sabbath than on any non-Sabbath day. What does that take? Ever slaughtered an animal before? It, I mean, you can say that it, it, it's, it takes work, but it's work. It takes work. And the priest, Jesus is saying, David, the priest gave David permission, not to mention today, the priests profane the Sabbath every single Sabbath. Why? Because there's a higher calling in what they're doing. It's the next level. It's the greater purpose in the whole reason that they have the Sabbath in the first place. And Jesus says, and they do it in the temple. And then he goes on to say, yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater than the temple. Who's Jesus talking about? Jesus is saying, you know, I'm greater than the temple and the fulfillment is greater. But I love how he ends this. Listen to this, how he ends this. But if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Listen to this. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let that sink in for a minute. Who's Jesus talking to? The Pharisees. What's he addressing? He's addressing what David did, what the priests allowed him to do, and the priests of the present day, those three things. Now what's he saying? That the Son of Man, his direct link to deity, this is a deity statement, I am the Son of God, is Lord over the Sabbath. This is what he's saying. Let me set up an illustration for you. I hear my kids fighting in the other room. I hear one of my kids say to another kid, you can't do that or you have to do this. Emphatically. And I walk in and I say to you, know, what, do, what do I say to him? I said, I am Lord of this house. You will now call me Lord. <laughs> I'll say to them, hey, listen, I'm the one in charge here. I'm the one in charge. You don't tell your brother or sister what they can or cannot do. I will do that. I am, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. I am the one that's in charge here. And this is like the Pharisees are bratty, snot-nosed little kids pointing their fingers around, telling people what they can and cannot do. And Jesus' response is, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I tell people how the Sabbath is fulfilled and how it's defiled. And he says, if you would have understood this statement, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the what? The guiltless. They didn't do anything wrong, and you're condemning them. And if you would have understood this statement, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is, this is, a, big, this is a big idea. This is a big picture. The whole world operates on the importance and value of the sacrifice. 
Every world religion emphasizes what you have to do. That is the sacrifice. Jesus said, if you would have understood mercy and that mercy is more important to me, mercy is more important to God. What is mercy? Mercy is not receiving something that you do deserve. If you would understand that, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, God isn't up in heaven saying, how come you guys aren't giving me stuff, man? I mean, I need more stuff up here in heaven. I need you to, to offer me more sacrifices and give. God doesn't care about your sacrifices. He does not care. He created everything. What is it going to benefit him? In, in reference to sacrifice in the, in the book of Psalms, he says, I have a cattle on a thousand hills. You're going to offer me one cow? I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't want your sacrifice. I want your obedience. And obedience is connected to the heart of God by having compassion and love for others and each other. That's what mercy is. Forgo the caring of each other and just God in heaven, give me a bunch of junk that I don't need, that I don't want, that I didn't even call you to give to me. You know what the law was set up for in the Old Testament? The law was not set up for God's prenuptial benefit plan to have a relationship with you. You know, if you do these things, I'm going to bless you. Well, that was what the, what the statement for the law in the Old Testament was. But it wasn't for him to receive anything from you. It was for them to observe that he was righteous and knew what he was doing and right by observing the law. It was the obedience that was greater than what the law was going to produce for God. Does that make sense? Like if I set this up right, I can really benefit from these people on earth that I created in, in my image and everything for. It was for the obedience element. Now when he had departed from there, he went into the synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? This is, this is crazy. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And the intention of the question was to find fault in Jesus. Then he said to them, don't you? I love Jesus. Jesus is like a stick it to the man kind of guy, you know? Like, what am I not allowed to do that I am allowed to do? And I'll do in front of you so I can show you it's okay to do. What man is there among you who has one sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to, to do therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out, plotted against him how they might destroy him. This is one of those mind blowing things. How many times in your life? Have you seen a miracle where somebody's hand was restored to wholeness? Or somebody in a wheelchair got up and started running laps around the sanctuary? Or got out of the, off their deathbed and started walking around hugging people? Okay, well, let's keep some distance with that guy, right? But how many times have you seen it? Well, I don't 
probably none. I mean, or just a few. I've seen it a few times, but um, probably not often. They just witness a man who was crippled be restored to wholeness. And what was their response? And how are we going to kill this guy, Jesus, who's healing people and going against what we say? Could you imagine? How are we going to kill this guy? Jesus is for your restoration. That is where you you settle in tr- into true rest is through restoration. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. Now, when it says statements like that, he healed them all, it doesn't literally mean he healed every single person that had an infirmity. He healed everybody that wanted to be healed because there were still people being healed after he ascended into heaven. Yet he warned them not to make him known that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. And I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. This is, these two verses are very beautiful. This is where we're going to wrap it up. A bruised reed, he will not break. A smoking flax, he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name, Gentiles will trust. This is Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break. I don't know if many of you have ever, have you ever seen a bruised reed before? We used to go out to Ash Meadows out towards Death Valley and and it's a lake with some fish and me and my buddies used to go out there and go fishing for mostly bass, but they got trout in there too. But I think that they don't let you go fishing out there anymore in case you were wondering. But we used to and there's reeds all around the lake and it's it's really beautiful. Um, and, And every once in a while, you'll see all the reeds are really green and they're standing up, you know, and a big breeze comes and they do the wave because... It's the wind blowing them, but it looks like it's they're do, they're doing the way, but they're not. It's just the wind. And the, but some reeds that are if they're bruised right in the middle of the reed, it, it gets to be brown, and they're not standing up. What are they doing? They're they're flopped down. They're like that. And and it would be easy as you're walking by on the shore to look at this reed and and the part that it's the elbow that's that's uh, leaning down. It's it's brown and it you can tell that it's dead. And it'd be easy just to walk up and just rip that thing off and throw it in the water. Poor dumb reed, you're all bent over there and we'll rip you off and finish you off, right? And what's that? That's nothing. It's a little reed. There's thousands of reeds next to this lake. And the Bible says of Jesus that that he's so gentle in spirit that he won't even do that to that reed. He won't won't twist it off and throw it away. Some days you you might feel fine. You're you're up. You're good. But, uh, But how many of you, some days you're just kind of like a bruised reed and you're down. The Bible wants to communicate to you that Jesus isn't the one that's going to come along and pluck you off at the elbow and throw you down because you're struggling. How about the next one, the smoldering flax, he will not quench. It's a very sad thing. If, if you like camping, we like to go camping a lot and we, and we make a lot of camping fires 
a good character builder for your kids is to make them, teach them how to make a fire and then have them make it. And you go out and you see as you're trying to start this fire, you've got these little, you know, the little kindling and, and you're trying to get that little ember going and you're blowing on it to try to, to try to get it. It's such a sad thing when, when the fire starts and it's, it's going a little bit and you want it to go more. And then for some reason it, it goes out and then it's just smoking. And your, your initial response is you, you want the fire to thrive. You want it to burn, right? That's, you warm your little tootsies by the, fire, by the campfire. And, and when I look at it and I see it's, it's, it's smoldering and it's sad to me. I, I feel sad. I don't say, you stupid fire. I'm not even going to have you anymore. I'm going to start over with something else. That's an extreme illustration, right? But. Jesus isn't going to be the one that stomps that out. If you're smoldering, if you're struggling, he's never going to leave you or forsake you. His intention is to fan you so you get going, not to quench you. You know who the quencher is? The quencher is the enemy. Oh, you're struggling? You're smoldering? (sighs) Quench you, you silly little flame not Jesus. And then this beautiful verse as it ends, till he sends forth justice to victory. He sends forth justice to victory. And in his name, Gentiles will trust. This was a foreign concept to the Pharisees who were elitists that were waiting for the Messiah that was only for them. Not only would Jesus not pluck them up or snuff them out, but even the Gentiles would look. And the Gentiles is everybody else in the world. Even the Gentiles will look to Jesus. For what? Connecting back to our beginning point. For what? For that rest. That confidence. Let's look at these three points in closing for your takeaway and meditation on this week. Point number one, rest as it relates to you. Where you're at right now in your life, how does that word from the Lord, how does that word speak to you personally, that rest? Do you have it? Do you lack it? Do you need it? It's kind of applied directly to our first point with the disciples walking through the field on the Sabbath day. It was for them. How did they receive it? And and how was it represented? They were enjoying it. Point number two, rest as it relates to others. Do you know that you can help be a facilitator for somebody else to enter into that rest? Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's not just about me. It's about me also, not just being in a place of rest myself, but recognizing something in somebody else's life and trying to help them enter into that rest also. And you see the two examples, one of the Pharisees with their little pointer finger, "Mm, take the blessing and make it a burden. Or Jesus How did Jesus minister to others according to that rest? He sees the crippled man with his crippled hand, and he says, stretch your hand out, and he brings wholeness. That's how Jesus helped others 
enter into and remain in that place of rest. Point number three is more of a statement. Jesus is for your restoration, not your destruction. Do you notice that kind of little play on words? Jesus is for your restoration, not for your destruction. Now, uh, destruction and discipline are two different things. Uh, discipline happens to people by from people who love that person. A father disciplines his children. Your heavenly father will in seasons discipline you, but he's not out for your destruction. It's disciplinary and it's just for a season, just for a time. Because Jesus is about your restoration, not your destruction. You know, that word that we get... Um, restoration from is is the original word that we get restaurant from and i like that because i like restaurants do you know why i like restaurants because i like to eat thanks a lot that's not where i was going but no i don't like to eat i love to eat i and when you go to a restaurant what happens you go in and you sit down and you got a server coming over and what can I get you to drink? And then you order off a menu that you don't have to get the ingredients for and they cook it for you and they bring it. And what are you doing the whole time? <laughs> you guys are quick. You're resting. So we're all going to a restaurant after service today, okay? In and out. Sounds good. Jesus is for your restoration. Because he wants you to be whole. Because he wants to lead you. He wants to take you and lead you and cause you to lie down in green pastures. Besides still quiet waters, he restores our soul. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. God, thank you for this this amazing gift of rest that you've given us that we could be confident in, we can receive fully. Help us like that verse in Hebrews stated, God. Help us to be diligent to enter into the rest that you have ordained for us, you prepared for us. Father, if any of my brothers or sisters are struggling, having difficulty, understanding or receiving or believing that you have that rest for them. Lord, I pray that you'd reveal yourself to them, that you would bring that restoration. And again, we're so grateful to you for it. In Jesus' name.